We've been working our way through Matthew, and uh, we come to chapter 14. We're actually going to look at a couple of verses in chapter 13 as we begin. This is a story that is recorded in all four of the Gospels, and so whenever a story makes it into all four of the Gospels, it's something that God really wants us to stop, pause, and, and reflect on. There's something that He wants to communicate. I think it's also important because we did take two weeks to talk about some of the things that the Bible speaks about in the end times, that uh, this, this is going to be something that I think we really need because you can look at the things going on and, uh, and, and if, if we, we need to see that, but we need to not forget what this talks about today. So we'll be looking at something. Um, also in this, each gospel, when it tells the story, will emphasize certain aspects. Now I like to go through when there's a story like that, and I like to bring in uh, what each of the gospel is saying, what each one is bringing out, and then to put it together in kind of a a package type thing. So a a couple of things I want to start with. We finished Matthew chapter 13. There was a couple of verses at the end. I want to just highlight a couple of things. Uh, we, We went through the parables of the kingdom a few weeks ago, and then in verse 54 it says of chapter 13, it says, he came to his hometown, and we know that to be Nazareth. And, uh, and then if you go to verse 57, they respond to him and it, it says that they took offense at him. Does your Bible say offense at him? And the, the word in the Greek is very interesting. It's scandalizo from where we get our word scandalized. They were scandalized by Jesus as he comes to, to the town. And verse 58, it says he did not do many miracles there because of their unbelief. Now in Mark's gospel it would say he could not do many miracles because of their unbelief. So he goes, they have the Bible, and uh, they all believe in the right God, but they have the wrong perception of who God is. And so because they have the wrong perception of who God is, God, when he's there, can't do a whole lot. He's kind of limited by their perception. In this case, it's, it's unbelief. Well, then you come to chapter 14, and uh, uh, we find out in the first few verses that, that John the Baptist has died and uh, Jesus is going to be grieving over that. And then other gospels will tell us that, that um, it's at this time where Jesus has sent out his disciples to preach. They're now coming back and uh, they, they want to tell Jesus everything that's taken place. And so they're excited about this. Jesus has just been rejected in his hometown again. They have a misperception about God. He's grieving the loss of his cousin, John the Baptist, and his disciples are coming back and they're very excited. So that's kind of the backdrop of what we're going to talk about. So there on your outline, when Mark begins to tell the story, it says, and he said to them, come aside by yourselves to a deserted place and rest a while. For there were many coming and going, and they did not even have time to eat. So they departed to a deserted place in the boat by themselves. Uh, the boat is on the Sea of Galilee, and, and uh, at, its, at its widest place it's eight miles across. So you can literally see the other side. So they just start walking around the Sea of Galilee when uh, they see him going. So as our story begins, the disciples are tired, they're hungry, and uh, they haven't even had time to eat. So Jesus says, you know, it's time to take a, a short vacation. So in verse 13 of chapter 14, it says, now when Jesus heard about John, he withdrew there into a boat, uh, there in a boat, and to a secluded place by himself. And when the people heard of this, they followed him on foot from the cities. 
And he went ashore, he saw a large crowd and felt compassion for them, and he healed their sick. And so he had compassion for them. So you want to tuck that, tuck that away. So he's trying to get away from the crowd. So much is going on. There's the emotional side. There's the side of wanting to hear what's happening with the disciples. And then just once again to be rejected by his, his hometown. So as the crowd shows up, Jesus can respond a number of ways, but he feels compassion for them, and so he welcomes the crowd as, as uh, they show up. Now in Matthew's gospel, it would say he healed their sick, and so we saw that. But when Mark tells the story, Mark's going to say it like this. Jesus, when he came out, saw a great multitude and was moved with compassion for them because they were like sheep, not having a shepherd. So, because they're sheep not having a shepherd, and I've underlined, so he began to teach them many things, many things. They're like sheep without a shepherd, and he recognizes that, and so he responds by teaching them. And it's important to know that, that uh, it's, they believed in God, but, but what they believed about God was wrong. And uh, we saw that in Nazareth. So, so he has to teach them. This is the right concept of who God is, the, the right understanding of who he is. I also highlight that it says he taught them many things, which means that this is not a 15-minute sermon. Jesus is going on and on. He's teaching many things. Now, Mark and Luke will emphasize the fact that Jesus is teaching them because he realizes that's their need. And so Matthew tells us that he's also healing. Uh, I, I would also just add to that As you read the story, you find that Jesus isn't hyping it. It's not a pep rally. He's just teaching it because they need to understand who God really is. Well, I also think that uh, he's teaching for another reason. There in your outline from Romans, it says, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. So it's not just faith. Uh, When we we read that, we think it's just, you know, we have to hear the word to believe and become become saved. But it's more than that. It's, it's believing God for our daily life. And so that faith to trust Him in our circumstances comes from hearing His Word and then acting on that. Remember, He's just come from a place where they had a wrong conception about who God is, and that caused them to reject Him, and He couldn't do many miracles among them. He couldn't do many miracles among them tells us that they had a number of needs he wanted to meet those needs. There was nothing wrong with him. The problem was their perception of who he is. Does that make sense? So in uh, verse 15, the first part it says, now when it was evening, I'm going to stop right there, when it was evening. Now as the story unfolds, each gospel gives a little bit of a detail. So when John begins to tell the story, he adds this. He says, the Jewish Passover feast was near. And I put that there on your outline. The Jewish Passover feast was near. So that tells us that this teaching is taking place in April. And that what that means in the Middle East is that the sun is no longer going down at 4.30 in the afternoon. So when it says it was evening, you know, it's 7 o'clock, 7.30, somewhere around there. The disciples are tired, they're hungry, and uh, Jesus won't shut up. He continues to teach them many things. So he waits until it's evening, until it's evening. And again, as we put the, the uh, pieces together, John goes on and John says this there on, on your outline. He says, therefore, Jesus, lifting up his eyes and seeing that a large crowd was coming to him, he said to Philip specifically, where are we to buy bread so that these may eat? And he was saying to test him, and I've underlined this, he just says, for he himself knew 
what he was intending to do. And you want to tuck that away. We'll come back to that. Jesus knows what he wants to do. The disciples are hungry. Uh, The disciples are tired. Uh, It's at this point they want to spend some time with Jesus, share about their teaching trip. And uh, Jesus speaks to Philip here very, very specifically. So Philip responds, Jesus says this to him, so Philip goes back to the committee of 12, goes back to the 12 disciples, and they begin to deliberate. The committee of 12, they look at the situation, they see how great the situation is, everybody's hungry, and and so uh, they begin to deliberate, and so verse 15, it says, when it was evening, so Jesus has turned to Philip, and it says, it says, the disciples came to him and said, this place is desolate, the hour is already late, so send the crowds away that they may go into the villages and buy food for themselves. So the disciples say, send them away, which I find interesting because Jesus' message is always, come to me all you who are weary, and here the disciples are saying, send them away because we're weary. So it's an interesting thing there. So the disciples, they look on at the situation, they recognize the need, and they they realize the impossibility uh, of this need. So we're going to learn something here. I want you to write this down, is that miracles begin as impossible situations. And this is going to be a story that's recorded in all four Gospels, so there's something that he wants to communicate to us. This is an impossible situation. I put verse 21 on your outline. We'll see it again when we come to it. But it says, now those who had eaten were about 5,000 men besides women and children. So you hear about the feeding of the 5,000. That's 5,000 men, but they also have their wives and children. So it's more like 15,000 people is is the idea. So here you are, you're in this desolate place. And and, uh, so I I love this little phrase, uh, and uh, hopefully you do too, but there's there's a lesson here. And what we're going to find is that when we're down to nothing, God is up to something. You want to write that down. And so Jesus is allowing all of this to take place because of something that he wants to do. He knows already what he's planning, and so he's just kind of helping the disciples get in that place where they're going to recognize how great this miracle is. So they have to see that. So this is an impossible situation. There's, it's a desolate place, it says. There's nowhere to buy food. In those days, there was no McDonald's. There, there was no concept of a restaurant. So, so these things were very, very foreign to them back then. The, the little towns in Israel were somewhere between three and five acres in size. So they, they weren't these sprawling metropolises that, that we would have today. The, the day is, is ending, and even if uh, one of these little towns had a town baker, most of the people baked their own bread, but even if a little town locally had a, a baker, it could never bake that much bread for this many people. This is an impossible situation. So the disciples are, uh, they, they've come here to get away, and, and, and uh, because Jesus has come here to get away from people, that tells us how desolate this place is. So he's not attached himself to a town, he's getting away. So the people have come from quite a distance. So everybody realizes that it's impossible to feed this many people. So they conclude as they respond to Jesus and, uh, and, and the need, and they make a mistake that many times that, that we also make. And I want you to write this down. The mistake that they make is saying, it's not our problem. So it's their problem. They need to go fix it. They need to take care of it. We can't do anything with it. It's too great. The word send is an interesting word in the original language. Apoluo, uh, it means to free fully, uh, to relieve, release, dismiss, 
to let die, pardon, but especially to divorce. The idea is when they say uh, let them go or send them away, it's like send them away and not come back. It's, it's kind of a harsh, harsh word. So the disciples, a little bit of their emotion is coming out in this. So it's in this, they're tired, they're hungry, they're on vacation, and that's when Jesus reveals what we're going to call, and you want to write this down, their next step of faith. The next step of faith. Verse 16 says, but Jesus said to them, they do not need to go away. You give them something to eat. And, and uh, this step, again, is going to come when they're tired and hungry. So it's at this time that, that Philip answers him, and John records this there in your outline. Philip answered him and said, 200 denarii worth of bread is not sufficient for them for everyone to receive a little. And everybody just to get a little bite. And uh, a denarii was a day's wage. So uh, somebody working 200 days, that amount wouldn't cover enough food for them to have enough to just have a bite or so. So they, they, they then make the second mistake. And I want you to write this. They begin to explain to God why it can't be done. And uh, I don't know about you, you don't need to raise your hand, but I've been in that situation before. There's something that he wants to do, and I begin to explain to God why it can't happen. And so that, would you agree that's a mistake? Yeah. And now am I the only one who's ever been in that situation? So, okay, good. So we've all been there. All right. So um, again, just a little, it would not be a full meal. Now, fortunately, and I put this on your outline, fortunately, it's at this point that the disciples realize that Jesus wants to do this. So they stop asking if it can be done and began discussing how it can be done. Well, that's a step in the right direction. Uh, they, They realize that he's up to something. So it's at this point where Mark begins, uh, he chimes in in his story, and it says, and they said to him, well, shall we go and spend 200 denarii on on bread and give them something to eat? And he said to them, well, how many loaves do you have? Go look. And I love that. And this is why I can't be a disciple, because if Jesus would have, it's 15,000 people. I'd be like, Go look. Jesus, there's 15,000 people here. How, many, how do you go through 15,000 people? You know, so he says, go look. So they begin walking through. One of the disciples probably says, all right, guys, fan out. Let's start walk, walking through the crowd and see what we can come up with. And so they go. Now, I, I want to just say that because there's 15,000 people, um, this story does not take place like it took place in the, the wonderful Baptist church that I grew up in where they had flannel grabs. Do you remember the flannel grabs? How many of you? Were you raised on flannel? I don't know that you can be saved if you didn't, you didn't have... Do you even know what flannel graphs are? You don't know it? Oh, okay. Well, <laughs> who knows what flannel graphs are? There you go. Okay. Flannel graphs. When we were in Sunday school as little kids, they had flannel graphs. It was made of flannel, and there'd be a picture on there, and they would take pictures like of Jesus, and they'd put him on the flannel graph as they told the story, and then they'd put in two or three disciples, and then a, a crowd of like four or five people, and then to get to the punchline, there's going to be a, a little boy there with some fish. Is that pretty much how the story goes with the flannel graphs? And Jesus always had the same position like this, and he's always smiling. So, so... <laughs> So, so anyways, the, the point is, as they go through this crowd, there's 15,000 people. When you, you grow up with the flannel graphs, you think there's little kids standing right there going, hey, I got some stuff, and uh, that's not the case. So they have to go out. Well, verse 17, it says, they said to him, here, we have here only five loaves and two fishes. So 
that's the, the punchline, but John gives a little bit more of the detail. And John's the one who tells us. And one of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, you know, there, there's a lad here who has five barley loaves and two fish. But, but he realizes just the impossibility. He's like, but what is this for so many people? You know, that's all we got. We have five loaves here. And we're not talking about big loaves. We're talking about pieces of bread. The kid had brought his lunch. Interesting to me as they go through the 5,000 men and the women and the children, they're not just asking the adults, do you have something, do you have something? They, uh, they find that it's just a kid who has something. So they're apparently asking a number of people. Verse 18, it goes on, and uh, he said, bring them here to me. And um, um, okay, that, did I, that was verse 18. Okay, so so one of the things that we're going to learn here, and I want you to write this down because we do this so much, uh, we never limit how God can do it. They've, they've said they can buy food, uh, they've said this is all we have, but then they conclude there's not enough to do anything with this. And sometimes we do that. We make decisions based upon our bank account, our doctor, our, you know, whatever it is, and uh, we've limited many times what it is that God can do. And so uh, the disciples were going to find that they have a responsibility. So their responsibility here is to bring the resources that we have in faith. And I'm calling us disciples here. The, bring the resources that we have in faith. They've been around Jesus long enough that he, they know that he wants to do something. And, and so because Jesus says, bring it here, they now will act in faith and they will bring that to him. If they didn't believe he was going to do something, they, w- they wouldn't have brought it. So I'm, I'm suggesting that they have faith that he wants to do something. So I believe that our job is to bring our resources to him. And then his job, as we're going to see here, and I want you to write this down, is to bless and multiply. Bless and multiply. Verse 19, it says, Ordering the people to sit down on the grass, he took the five loaves and the two fish. And looking up toward heaven, in my translation it says, blessed the food, and breaking the loaves, he gave them to the disciples. And I want you to underline, gave them to the disciples. That'll be important. So he gives them to the disciples, and then it goes on, and the disciples gave them to the crowds. Does your Bible say crowds? And so the idea is that as he breaks the bread, he gives it to them. And now their responsibility is to go through the crowds. And as they're breaking the bread to the crowd, something is happening that, that it's, it's multiplying. Again, this story is told in all four Gospels. So when John tells the story as far as them eating, John says it like this, that the disciples distributed, and it says, as much as they wanted. Now you'll recall it was 200 days wage for, that it would cost for everybody just to get a bite. But when Jesus gets involved in this, everybody has as much as they wanted. What that means is they're coming back for seconds, they're coming back for thirds until they are, until they are completely full. Well verse 20 is going to go a little bit further and it's going to say they all ate and were satisfied. And I've underlined that word satisfied. And they picked up what was left over of the broken pieces, 12 full baskets, 12 full baskets. Now, if your Bible will either say uh, satisfied or they were filled, and uh, the word there in the original language is cortezo, it means to gorge. 
to supply food in abundance. They are full like they've had Thanksgiving meal to the place where you know, you've had that Thanksgiving meal, you, you know you shouldn't have that second piece of pie, but you do. And, uh, and the, you know, you're, you're stuffed, and then you just have to lay down. That's the idea that this word brings. What, am I the only one? <laughs> so, so they're stuffed. Everybody has had seconds and thirds as much as they wanted. So it's a, it's a great miracle, and um, this, again, this miracle is recorded in all four Gospels. When a miracle is recorded in all four Gospels, there's something that he wants us to stop and see. And I I, I think in this miracle, this is recorded in all four Gospels because if we're not careful, we're going to be like the people in Nazareth who have a misconception about who he is and how he operates. And because we have that misconception, it limits what he wants to do what he's already intending to do in our lives. So I want to make just a couple of observations. And so when uh, the first observation that I want to make is that God is concerned about our immediate need. Our immediate need. I think it's important as we travel through, and one of the things I like to do is to always ask who he's speaking to. And I'll say he speaks very differently to the crowd, he speaks very differently to disciples, and then very, very differently to apostles. And what can happen as I say that, and as we go through the Bible, the Gospels, we can say, well, I'm not really an apostle. I don't know that I qualify to be a disciple, so I don't know that God is really going to act on my behalf. And there is nothing further from the truth. One of the things we, we find in Jesus taught is that, that he taught about he feeds the birds of the air. And so God is concerned about the birds of the air. And so if he's concerned about the birds, the point is that if he's concerned about them, he's concerned about us. And uh, so he cares. S- many of the miracles that you read about in the Gospels are not life and death miracles. They were miracles about God just caring for his people. So, for instance, you know the story, he goes to a wedding and they've run out of wine. And uh, as they, you know, nobody at the wedding, the wedding party, the people getting married, they weren't disciples or anything. They were just getting married and Jesus shows up. And they run out of wine. And when you read the story, the part that we forget is no one would have died. The couple would have still got married. But Jesus shows up and he goes, it's a wedding. You got to have some wine. So, sorry, Baptist. But, but he says, you... <laughs> A grape juice for you. <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> so, so he says, you got to have wine. And so he turns the water into wine. And he just cared. He just cared about their situation. And they weren't disciples. They weren't apostles. But it's Jesus. And he cares. He cares about their immediate need. Again, nobody would have died. Uh, they fished all night. And they caught nothing. And you know, when you think about it, it wasn't a life or death situation. Nobody was going to go bankrupt. It wasn't like the first bad night they had fishing. Uh, They weren't going to lose their boats. They weren't going to be foreclosed on. It was just bad night fishing. And so Jesus shows up, but he cares. And they weren't even disciples at that point, but he just cares. So you know the story, launch out. And he met that need because he, he cares. He cares. He cares about their immediate need. 
So here you have the feeding of the 5,000. And, and when you look at it, no one's going to starve. No one's going to die. It's not a desperate situation. It's an inconvenience. They're going to be hungry, but they'll make it home. They could go to their home and they could get something to eat. But, but they're there. Jesus is there. And, and so he wants to communicate that he really cares. And again, it's not a life or death situation. It's just, you know, they're hungry. Let's, let's do something about that. And, and what, I, what I love about this is that Jesus doesn't wait till they're spiritually mature. They're the crowds and they're, they're like sheep without a shepherd. So he doesn't wait till they're spiritually mature to act on their behalf. They're, they're in process like, like we're all in process. You know, the, the, the thing about the, they, they weren't spiritually mature, but you know what? They were there. They were there. Maybe, maybe you're like me. I always thought by this time in my life I'd be a lot more spiritual. I always thought by this time in my life I'd have it all figured out, a lot more worked out. Okay, you're looking at me like I have lobsters going out of my ears. So, so are we all there? Yeah, so, so we don't have it all together. But we're here. It could be anywhere, but we're here. And they were there. And he cared for them. And I want you to know. He wants you to know. He cares for you. So you're not where you want to be yet. But he cares. That's his heart. So he cares about their immediate needs. And he wanted to bless them. A second thing that I notice, and I, I think this is where many times we in our modern church, we miss it, um, that this miracle, and you want to write this down, that this miracle was accomplished through a process and required participation. It was a process. This miracle, when you, you look at it, was not an instantaneous miracle. It was a process. He says to them, you know, you've you got to go look. You've got to go find it. You know? And, and even, even as we, we said just a moment ago, it says he feeds the birds of the air. But one of the things that we say here at Calvary is, you notice, he never drops the worm off at the nest, does he? And I think many people miss what God is doing because they forget that it's a process and it requires participation. And so the bird has to get up and the bird has to get going and God says, I'll work with you and I'll provide it for you, but we're going to do this together but you got to go. But if you wait for me to drop it off at the nest, you're going to be frustrated with the outcome. In, in this miracle, it was a process. I, when you read the uh, story, he goes to the wedding, and they've run out of wine. And what, what you find is that he could have said, let there be wine, and there would have been wine. But he doesn't do that. He says, take the pots and go fill them up. And as you go fill them up, in that process takes time, that's when the miracle takes place. But it wasn't an instantaneous miracle. It required their participation. If they didn't pick up the pots, I don't know what would happen. And, and, and it took a process. It didn't happen instantly. They fished all night and they caught nothing. And uh, Jesus says, launch out into the deep and cast your nets. Now we look at that and we think, this is a five minute thing. No, no, they had to take their nets and they had to go through the process. It took a couple of hours to get out there on the water and lay the nets completely out. And yet it was in that process and their participation. Now Jesus could have said, all the fish within my voice, hop into the boat. But he doesn't do that. 
He chooses to use a process and participation. And apart from them launching out, I, I don't know that they would have caught what they caught. He, he loves to do that. You know, one of the things I love doing with my kids is when we do stuff, I love doing it together. And sometimes it doesn't get done as well as it could be, um, but I just love doing things with them. And what we find in the Bible is many times the miracle, he wants us to participate and, and, and to, to go through that process. But sometimes because it's not instantaneous, we think that God's not doing anything. So in our story today, when you, when you think of it, feeding of the 5,000, it required their participation and it required a process. And it began with seeing the need. And then it began, Jesus says, well, go look. So part of the process was thinking it through. How do we do this? How's, what's it going to take? Do we have the resources? Do we not have the resources? And he used all of that because of what he wanted to do. And then he breaks the bread, and then they get to go through the 5,000, but really it's more like 15,000. And as they're going, that's a process. The miracle took hours and apparently required a great deal of, of work in the process. And, and so it's, it's, the, it's the partnership, it's the participation, and, and it's the process. It's the process. I think many times we, we miss it because it's not instantaneous. I think we miss our financial miracle because uh, we forget that sometimes there's the participation and then there's the process. And because we don't have that immediate uh, we, we think that God's not doing something. Many people miss a relationship miracle because they forget that most often God uses a process and partnership in the miracle. So we miss out. We want deliverance, but God loves to use the process and partnership. And uh, in John's gospel, we saw it a little while ago, and it says, this he was saying to test him, for he himself knew what he was intending to do. Jesus knew what he wanted to do in the situation, but the disciples had to participate and, and they had to be part, be part of it. So, so here, here's the question that we need to ask ourselves. Since he knows what he intends to do there in your outline, what miracle am I missing out on because I haven't participated in the process? Maybe... Uh, we grew up in an environment where we thought he was supposed to drop the worm off at the nest and we've been frustrated. And maybe what he's doing is saying, I want to do a miracle, but it's a partnership and it's a process. You work with me and let's do this together. So what am I missing out on? So he knew what he wanted to do. And part of what he wanted to do was he wanted to change their perception of who God is. You see, I believe that they were very much like the people in Nazareth that we started with who believed they had the Bible and they believed in the right God, but their perception of God caused them to ultimately miss him and miss out on everything that he wanted to do. It was the same Jesus, it's the same Bible, but it was the perception that they had that changed everything. I believe that Jesus taught them so that he could change their perception and then this miracle would also be to change their perception. You see, many of us grew up with the concept that he is the God of just enough. I grew up with that concept as a, as a boy growing up. So we'd hear stories in church 
I was out of food, I was out of groceries, and somebody showed up at my house and they had a bag of groceries and it was just enough. Or they'd say, you know, I couldn't pay my bills, I wasn't able to pay my electric bill, and all of a sudden this happened and it was just enough. Now, just enough is great. If you don't have any, just enough is good. You know, we'll, we'll take that. But it's hard to get excited about a life of just enough. Am I alone in that? Yeah. And so what he is teaching them here in this miracle is that he's not the God of just enough. He's the God of abundance. You want to write that down. So they ran out of wine at the wedding and... Uh, in that wedding, there may have been up to 100 people. It's a very, very small town. And he could have made just enough, a couple of bottles could have made just enough so everybody had a little, but he's not the God of just enough. He's the God of abundance. So when you read the story and they take these six pots, it's somewhere between 120 and 180 gallons that he makes. It was more than enough. It, 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 he's the God of more than enough, not just enough. You see the, uh, the story, and they fished all night, and they caught nothing. And Jesus says, I want you to participate, and, and let's, let's do this together. So they launch out in the process. And, you know, he could have had them catch just enough. You know, and, and they would have been able to pay their bills for the day, and they would have been able to have some food to eat. But what we see is in that miracle, he wasn't trying to show them that he is the God of just enough, He's trying to change their perception that he's the God of abundance. And so you know the story. They launch out and the first boat begins to sink so they have to call the second boat and that boat fills up and it says that they were both about to sink so that they would see this is who I really am. I'm not the God of just enough. I'm the God of abundance. I'm the God of abundance. How many of you who have children love to bless your kids? Three of us. Good. The rest of you, we have a parenting class coming up. <laughs> you should sign up. <laughs> I love to bless my kids. I, 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 you know, it's a, it's a great thing. You know, the, the kids have some chores. They got some stuff they got to do. Things they got to, you know, keep going. But, but I love to bless them. Well, you and I get that because we're created in the image of God. He loves to bless his kids. And so, in that story, he could have given them just enough, but it begins to sink the boat. I love that. One of my mentors is a guy named Bob Harrison, and he calls that net-breaking boat-sinking increase. He, he fills the boat so that they would see he's really the God of abundance, not just enough. And, and I think that what took place there in those miracles was that Jesus was going into a religious environment that was teaching that he is the God of just enough, just enough. And he had to change that paradigm. So here you have the feeding of the 5,000. 200 denarii is worth. Everybody could have had just enough. Just enough. But he's not the God of just enough. He's the God of abundance. So he makes enough so that everybody can come back for seconds and thirds. And at the end of it they collect 12 baskets. 12 baskets for 12 disciples. And we'll talk about that next week. You know, when you, you look at the miracles of Jesus, when he healed the blind, I think it would have been just enough to give them enough sight so that they could wear some really thick glasses. But he doesn't do that. I mean, if you, you can't see anything, now you can see something, that's, that's enough. We'd all be excited about that. But he's not the God of just enough. He's the God of abundance. 
there in your outline it says, now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we may ask or think according to the power that works in us. I believe that Jesus had to teach them in order to change their perception of who God is. Because by and large in that society they had embraced that he was the God of just enough. Now in our society there's two extremes that you have to avoid. That you have to avoid. The first extreme is it's all about wealth and riches. And uh, we know that there are some people that, that that's all they talk about, wealth and riches. And you know the Bible talks about a whole lot, a lot of other stuff. But then there's the other side that says he's always the God of just enough. I mean, there are some denominations where uh, to, to be in leadership you take a vow of poverty. Well, you don't get that from the Bible. Jesus said, the poor you have with you always. He never tells his disciples, you are poor always. It's a very different mindset. But, but there is this idea that he's the God of just enough. I believe that he wanted to, and most of us err on the side that he is the God of just enough. And like the people in Nazareth, because of their perception of who he is, who he was, they missed out on all that he intended to do. And so my prayer for us this week as we go forward is that we begin to examine the God that we believe in. Is he the God of just enough? Well, in all of the stories I just shared, he was not the God of just enough. When God got involved, he wanted to show he was the God of more than enough. He was the God of abundance. So what God do we serve? With that, I'm going to close in prayer. Do you find that interesting today? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, we realize that in any teaching you can go off the chart this way and off the chart that way. We want to, we want to be those that look to you and say, Jesus, reveal yourself to us so that we could walk and live and respond and understand appropriately and accordingly. Help us to understand you well. Thank you, God, for including this in all four of the Gospels. And Lord, help us to believe you for that which you intend to do in us and through us and Lord, for us. Keep us till we meet again. It's in Jesus' name we pray and all God's people said, God bless you guys. We'll see you next time.